one of the things that came up in my research and in my book is that men struggle with friendship traditionally. They struggle with being vulnerable and open and intimate with each other. And it's not due to fault with most men, it's due to the fault of society, right? And a culture that says that men need to be tough and not open with their emotions and always have it together. Well, I don't have us have it together and most men I know don't always have it together. And I found that the people that I become friends with and the men that do have healthy friendships in their lives are more in touch with their emotions, share those emotions and feelings, talk about being sad and angry, in touch with their mental wellness and mental well-being and see a therapist are able to be in communication about their emotions with other men. So I talk about the power of men's groups in my book and I talk about kind of building those kind of rituals and teaching young men. I think this is important for young men to kind of model because it's not often modeled in our society. Boys are taught to be tough and fight it out. And that's not how <laughs> I think healthy relationships work. There's a saying that goes, women talk face to face and men talk shoulder to shoulder. So traditionally, at least, you know, it's not always whenever you kind of talk about these gender norms, it's not all across the board, but that's kind of what the research shows, right? If women have that eye contact, tell me about what's going on. Tell me about your relationship. Tell me about how work is. Tell me about your life. Men are like talking shoulder to shoulder while watching a game, <laughs> right? While watching football, while kind of having a beer. So they're talking, but there's a little bit of a disconnect there. They're not fully there looking and saying, hey brother, how are you? <laughs> tell me more. So I think that that's something that we need to change. I'm your host, Michelle King, joined by Kelly Thompson, and you're listening to The Fix, a podcast that shares the stories of remarkable people who were innovating and taking action to advance equality in the workplace and beyond. There's a loneliness epidemic, and it's affecting people from all ages. A recent study conducted by the American Enterprise Institute suggests that the proportion of people who can name six close friends has dropped from 55% to 27% since the 1990s, and one in five single men say they don't have any close friends. According to The Guardian, while the pandemic has increased experiences of loneliness, people were struggling long before as a YouGov study carried out in 2019 suggests that 9 in 10 people between the ages of 18 to 24 suffer from loneliness to some degree, and nearly half have difficulty making friends. The challenges with making friends differ for men and women. The study entitled Gender Differences in Friendship Patterns finds that women are more intimate and emotional in their same-sex friendships than men, Women also tend to place a higher value on these friendships than men do. Women emphasize talking, emotional sharing, and discussing personal problems with their same-sex friends. However, men showed an emphasis on sharing activities and doing things with their male friends. This is largely because men are socialized to not share their feelings. Being a man means going it alone. Results from the study suggest that men need to be socialized to express their emotions in order to form more intimate and beneficial same-sex friendships. The friendship gender gap can have significant consequences as men face higher rates of isolation, loneliness, depression, and even suicide. We all need connection in some way or another. On today's episode, Adam Smiley-Poswolski, author of Friendship in the Age of Loneliness, 
will join us to share how we can form meaningful friendships and create belonging at work and in life. Take a minute to recall the last day you were in your office or workplace. Now think about who you greeted as you walked down the halls. Who did you ask for advice before you made a decision that might affect other people? Who did you ignore in a meeting? Most people would have a hard time remembering each person they engaged with and why, but everyone knows a time when their colleagues ignored them in the hallway, dismissed them in a meeting, or didn't consult them on an important decision. We all know the isolation that comes with not feeling comfortable sharing our challenges or from feeling like we're being excluded by others. We remember it because it's painful. The part of our brain that registers physical pain, for the science fans it's called the anterior cingulate cortex, it's activated when people exclude us from social groups. Social pain, like the distress experienced when our colleagues reject us, is registered by our bodies as physical harm. Social psychologist Dr Naomi Eisenberger said that as far as your brain is concerned, a broken heart is not so different from a broken arm. A 2019 study by Better Up found that even a small act of exclusion, like being ignored in the hallways, can lead to a 25% decline in an individual's performance on a team project. And five years earlier, a Canadian study had found that being isolated or ostracised at work is more harmful to employees than being harassed. Isolation is damaging to our mental, emotional and physical well-being. A two-year study conducted by Stanford and published in 2018 found that loneliness and isolation were the most significant concerns that remote workers had. Research also shows that loneliness negatively impacts productivity. And a lack of connection can also contribute to a range of psychological issues like depression and anxiety. Our happiness and career fulfilment depend on our ability to connect. This is something that the many employers who are designing hybrid and remote working models right now are having to address head on. Here Smiley shares more on the loneliness epidemic. I think the thing that's really interesting and why I wanted to write this book is that loneliness is one of these epidemics that we don't talk about as much. So nearly two thirds of Americans are lonely and loneliness rates are on the rise all across the world. And this is data from before the pandemic, from before over a year of, in most cases, social isolation and lockdown measures where we actually couldn't even see our friends or even family members. And we were already experiencing these high degrees of loneliness. And I think it's something that at least maybe one silver lining from the pandemic is that we're talking about it more. We're admitting, hey, I'm experiencing this, are you too? Even though the data was showing that everyone was experiencing this in 2017, 2018, 2019. But now at least after COVID, we can kind of talk about it. And it's pretty alarming when you think about it in terms of how much this is affecting people. The average American hasn't made a new friend in the last five years. 10% of people in the UK have zero friends at work, zero friends. <laughs> And we only spend 4% of our time with our friends, right? 4% of our time with our friends. Meanwhile, we're spending, I know I see you all kind of covering your eyes because it is embarrassing. Meanwhile, we're spending 50 minutes a day on Facebook, 50 minutes a day on Instagram, and something is really wrong here. And I wanted to write this book out of my own struggle with loneliness. You know, my nickname is Smiley. <laughs> I'm a happy 
very social person. I consider myself an extrovert in, in normal times when the world is open and everyone is healthy. I make a living going around the world speaking. I literally make a living meeting people. That's my job to go to companies and organizations and meet people and make people have a good time. And I'm experiencing loneliness as a social extroverted person. And that's why I wanted to write this book to say, hey, if I'm experiencing this, then other people probably are too. And if you look at the data, oh yeah, well, two thirds of Americans are <laughs> experiencing loneliness. People in England, people in Germany, people in Japan. This is a global, global epidemic. And it's something that we don't talk about. And it's really unhealthy, right? Experiencing loneliness is as unhealthy for you as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. As the saying goes, it's not about quantity, it's about quality. And this is especially true when it comes to forming meaningful connections. Here Smiley explains why the number of followers you have or connections you make isn't the important factor when it comes to making meaningful friendships. I have four or 5,000 Facebook friends, I'm active on social media, Instagram followers, all that, but that's not really what matters. What we're looking for is meaningful connection and deep connection. It's about the quality, not the quantity. And if you look at actually the scientific definition of loneliness, Julianne Holt Lundstad, who is a loneliness researcher and social scientist who kind of pioneered some of the studies in this field, defines loneliness as it's the subjective gap, the perception between one's actual level of connection and desired level of connection. That's loneliness. It's that gap. So it's like when you see everyone out there, oh my gosh, they're all hanging out. They're all doing all of these things. I'm not there. I'm home alone on Friday night in my sweatpants watching Netflix. You know, there's that gap. And I think that that's especially pronounced for young people who kind of see this world through social media. You can be socially isolated and not feel lonely right? You're like, Hey, I'm going into the woods. I want to be alone. I want to stay in my apartment, in my flat. I'm doing my own thing. That's a choice you're making, right? And you can also have lots of social connections and still feel very lonely because it's that gap that you're missing. It's saying, Oh, I wish I had something deeper. I wish I had something more. And I think, you know, a lot of the research is showing that what people are not looking for is more connection. Very few people that I talk to, and if you look at the research, no one's saying, oh, I wish I had more Facebook friends, or I wish I had met more people in my life. What they want is to go deeper with the people they already know, right? And to be more vulnerable with the people that are already in their life, or even if they already have 10, 15 close friends, or even a couple close friends, just to spend more time with those people. It's a little shift to make because I think our world is really designed around more, 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 right? Growth, scale users, acquire users, gain more followers, meet new people. All of the language, even in the connection space is around meet new people as if, you know, even online dating, you're just grabbing away and it's more people and more swiping. And that's actually not what we're talking about here. If we're really looking for friendship in the age of loneliness, it's taking the time to just go deep with a couple people. The cure for loneliness is intimacy. Based on what Smiley has shared, it's clear that being alone is not the same as loneliness. You can be in a crowded room and feel completely unseen because you lack meaningful connections with just a few people. The challenge with intimacy is that it can be scary, especially for men who've been socialized to man up and hide their feelings 
or avoid being vulnerable at all costs. Here Smiley unpacks the gender gap in friendship. I want to give a shout out to my friend Shasta Nelson. She's a friendship expert. She was a former pastor. She wrote a great book called Frentimacy and then The Business of Friendship. And she talks about how the characteristics of friendship, there's three key things that a, a real friendship needs to have to thrive. And that's positivity. So kind of being excited, being uplifting, lifting your friend up, being excited to hang out. If one friend is like, I, I miss you. I love you. Let's hang out on Saturday. And the other friend is like, I know, thank you. I'd rather sit by myself. That's friendships probably not going to work, <laughs> right? Consistency so that you have that regular kind of ritual, that heartbeat. So it's not like, oh, we hung out once. And then three years later, oh, let's hang out again, right? It's weekly or monthly or every couple months. There's that cadence, right? You have your wine tasting friends, you have your book club, you have your cooking class, you have your friends that you go on a hike with, work friends, people that you see on a regular basis. So positivity, consistency, and the third, vulnerability. A friendship cannot thrive if both people are not open, they're honest, they have that trust, they have that communication, they're real, they're authentic, they share who they are and what they need and what they want and who they are and their story. And I think that that last piece gets to the gender question because vulnerability tends to, not always, but tends to, and the research shows, to be much harder for men. One of the things that came up in my research and in my book is that men struggle with friendship traditionally. They struggle with being vulnerable and open and intimate with each other. And it's not due to fault with most men. It's due to the fault of society, <laughs> right? And a culture that says that men need to be tough and not open with their emotions and always have it together. Well, I don't have us have it together. And most men I know don't always have it together. And I found that the people that I become friends with and the men that do have healthy friendships in their lives are more in touch with their emotions, share those emotions and feelings, talk about being sad and angry in touch with their mental wellness and mental well-being, and see a therapist are able to be in communication about their emotions with other men. So I talk about the power of men's groups in my book, and I talk about kind of building those kind of rituals and teaching young men. I think this is important for young men to kind of model because it's not often modeled in our society. Boys are taught to be tough and fight it out. And that's not how <laughs> I think healthy relationships work. There's a saying that goes, women talk face to face and men talk shoulder to shoulder. So traditionally, at least, you know, it's not always whenever you kind of talk about these gender norms, it's not all across the board, but that's kind of what the research shows, right? If women have that eye contact, tell me about what's going on. Tell me about your relationship. Tell me about how work is. Tell me about your life. Men are like talking shoulder to shoulder while watching a game, <laughs> right? While watching football while kind of having a beer. So they're talking, but there's a little bit of a disconnect there. They're not fully there looking and saying, hey, brother, how are you? <laughs> Tell me more. So I think that that's something that we need to change. And I think that what's interesting is that, you know, the more and more men I talk to in this book, they want that. <laughs> they acknowledge that they don't have some of those male friendships. And what happens when you don't, it's really alarming. Men have a much higher rate of suicide than women, anxiety, stress, depression, all of these things, drug addiction. There's links to men who don't have social support and friendships in their lives and increased risk of violence or domestic violence. These are real issues and it's all connected. Social well-being is all connected. Talking about something like friendship, it seems very soft and light and happy. And when you don't have it, <laughs> your risk of really scary health outcomes becomes much worse. So I'm excited. There's a new movement, I think, around the importance of female friendship for a long time and is still important and very important. 
but now for men as well to kind of step into that space of, of openness, of vulnerability, of being able to talk about your feelings and having that be encouraged by society and having more models for uh, male friendship. I think usually if you think about movies and Hollywood and the media, male friendship is really kind of like, uh, hey, like, did you get the girl? At least when I was growing up, you know, I'm in my 30s. The whole bro comedy, right? is really just about like getting the girl. Like that's the whole thing. <laughs> that's like the entire plot of the movie. <laughs> and that's just not what the majority of men's life are really fully about. I mean, yes, you know, some men are attracted to women and want to meet a, a, a partner. Yeah, but they're also going through, you know, work, life, friendship, health, all of the other things that encompass a healthy well-rounded life, not just like trying to get laid. So I think like hopefully our society can kind of is, is finding ways to, to think about gender in, in more holistic ways. Friendships take a lot of commitment and consistency. And no, social media doesn't count. According to data from the Global Web Index, in 2017, people were spending an average of about two hours a day on social media. This is half an hour more than in 2012, and this trend is likely to continue as time goes on. While social media helps you build a large network, it doesn't facilitate deep, meaningful connections, which are created and maintained through regular interaction, like grabbing a coffee or having some type of back and forth conversation. Here, Smiley shares how to use social media to maintain your friendships. I tried to be very careful in the book of kind of saying that social media or technology is bad. That is not my philosophy. I don't think is the truth. In fact, I think the pandemic showed kind of the power in many ways of some of these tools to bring us together when we couldn't be face to face, when we actually physically could not get together. So whether it's Zoom or Slack or all of these apps, even for online dating, for friendship, to meet people, to kind of meet other dog owners in your neighborhood, to meet other people that love books or cooking or whatever it is, I'm all for it. I think it's great. The research shows John Cassiopo, who is one of the leading loneliness researchers, he passed away a couple of years ago. He kind of found that when social media is used as a way station for people to find directions and then meet up in real life. So if social media is the place where you kind of connect, right? Or let's say you use an app like Eventbrite or a meetup or Nextdoor or, you know, neighbors.com or whatever, doglovers.com, whatever it is, an app that says, okay, this is where you can meet like-minded people, facilitate work stuff, or meet other people working on a similar project, crowdfunding campaign, whatever. And then you actually connect in real life whether that means meeting up in real life, having a cup of coffee, going for a walk, or having a video chat if you're not in the same city or same country, then actually it's very healthy, right? And those increase our level of social well-being. But if social media is not the way station, it's the final destination, then it's incredibly unhealthy. So if it's not the place you find directions, but it's just the place you go and you stay there and you scroll and you scroll and six hours later, you're still scrolling and you never actually talk to another human. You're just clicking on photos, putting emojis in and looking at ads <laughs> and you're never really doing anything. It is really not good for you and it's likely making you probably depressed or sad or just not well. 
So there's a big difference there. So it's not just social media is bad, technology is bad. It's how are you using it, right? So I think that that's something that I think, especially the pandemic showed, is that there's so many of these tools that when used correctly, they can be very beneficial for us to make new connections, go deeper with people, communicate, talk to your grandmother, a friend that you haven't seen that lives halfway across the world. That's a beautiful thing. But if the technology is designed to keep you on the app and constantly feed you dopamine notifications of five new likes, two new likes, you know, so that you never leave your house and you never go outside and see the sunshine, that's not healthy, right? So I would like to see more apps kind of saying, hey, you've been on this app for two hours, like go outside. Like, oh, hey, you and Michelle haven't spoken in two weeks. Do you want to talk <laughs> instead of texting each other? Like the DMs are cool, but like, do you want to just like meet up with this person? <laughs> Finally, Smiley shares his advice for anyone who's in a friendship rut or who would just like to have more meaningful connections. I would say the first thing, be the first person to reach out. You know, I think often we kind of are waiting and saying, oh, that person hasn't texted me back in six months or we haven't hung out or I made the last reach out. They should reach out to me. Just let it go and be the first person to make that effort. I think it goes a long way. And they're probably sitting there thinking the same thing, right? Oh, why haven't they reached out to me? So just make the first move would be my first thing. And I would say, keep it playful. We play so easily as children, as adults, you know, we think that it has to be so much more serious, but do a new activity, try something new, be curious, go to an event you've never gone to before, uh, do something that's active, that type of thing, I think, is going to inject a lot more energy, creativity, curiosity into the friendship. Think about like when we were kids, all you were supposed to do every day was play. Like, did you make a new friend today? Did you play today? Like, go play. That's what you're supposed to do. So think of what it would look like to do that for you and a friend on a Saturday or Sunday sometime. And then I think number three would be make it a ritual, make it a habit, whatever it is. If it's going to get sushi, make it something that you always do. If it's taking a walk in the park, make that a monthly walk. If it's a girl's night out, make it a monthly girl's night out. Make it a, an annual trip, right? Where you get together with friends and go camping or go visit someplace you've never been. Something like that. I think those types of things really help. In 2018, the UK government appointed the world's first Minister for Loneliness, recognising that loneliness is one of our most pressing public health issues. Tackling the loneliness epidemic needs government, business, community organisations and individuals all working together to smash the stigma and to make it easier for us all to build real connections. So what can we do as individuals to build those connections? In an interview in The Guardian, psychologist Linda Blair gave a number of tips on how to make friends as an adult. One of her tips was to build self-confidence. She says liking yourself before going off in search of friends is an important step to building healthy relationships. When I read this, I couldn't help but think about how we respond when children worry about whether they'll make friends at school. We tell them, just be yourself. It will be enough. But as adults, we don't always give ourselves this benefit of the doubt. Another tip she gives is to find something you feel passionate about. Join a language class if you love languages or volunteer outdoors if you love nature because that's where you'll find those friendships. Third, put yourself out there. Remember nothing ventured, nothing gained. As Linda Blair says, it isn't that you lose if you meet someone and it doesn't fit for a friendship. That's not losing, that's having tried. 
But how do we make sure that those connections we're making are real and meaningful? The key ingredient to friendship is empathy. Shame and empathy researcher Dr. Brene Brown says that empathy fuels connection, sympathy drives disconnection. In her TED talk, she asks you to imagine a situation where your friend is stuck down a hole calling for help. A sympathetic response is to look into the hole, agree, yeah, that situation's bad, and ask if they need a sandwich. An empathetic response is to climb down into the hole, tell your friend that they're not alone, and that you also know what it's like in that hole. So it's not about fixing things so much as making the vulnerable choice to connect with the part of yourself that understands their situation and use that to be present with that person. As Dr. Brown says, rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection. Before you go, just a quick reminder to check out the 100 Actions for Equality campaign, which provides you with 100 actions that you can take every day to create a more equal working world. Just visit www.100actionsforequality.com. Thank you for tuning into our episode today. If you're interested in partnering with us or being a guest on the show, then please reach out through our website, thefixpodcast.org. You can also sign up to our monthly newsletter and contribute your story there. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll catch you all again next week.